0: Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. This is Matamor Cronin, and today we're discussing the future of mindfulness. With us today is Paul Teodo. Paul is a yogi, a meditation teacher, and a musician, and he's the yogi who originally got me really interested in yoga, mindfulness, and meditation through the classes that he taught in LA. And since then, Paul has moved from LA to Bali, and I've had the pleasure of going on two retreats with him so far. And I found that of all the yogis that I've been to in LA and elsewhere, the meditation style that Paul uses, and also the pointers that you give, especially during sa- savasana, have really resonated with me the most. And I think that that may also be the case for our listeners. So, thank you, Paul, for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you. So uh, so excited to be to be here.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know it's been a while since I've seen you. I know. You. Um, awesome. Yeah. So in today's episode, I want to talk about the why, the how, and the what of mindfulness. So why is mindfulness something that people should strive for? How do people go about uh, obtaining it? And what are some of the benefits, some of the manifestations, some of the different styles that people can, can uh, choose from? But first, I think maybe it'd be good to give a little context on your own journey with mindfulness and meditation so when did you first become interested in it and you know how has that path uh how has that path, manifested itself so far
1: yeah um well i would say you know i used to i i i would i've answered this question differently right. over the last couple of years as i've really begun to understand what meditation means to me more and more and more Um, and then I really say that I was introduced to meditation, um, when I was a teenager because I feel that once I'm a musician Mm -hmm. and once I was able to play guitar well enough that I could play without thinking, I was meditating. Interesting. So yeah, that's that's what one of my teachers is Dr. Lauren Roche and he basically hmm. says any any activity that you love so much that you can lose track of time and lose yourself in the activity so basically any of the arts right. um, it is a meditation and they've actually done studies uh, when a musician is uh, is playing an instrument especially if they're improvising the same parts of their brain are firing as when a meditator is sitting in meditation. Hmm. Uh, So I really consider my first meditations to be my my jam sessions. Uh, Probably when I was about two or three years in of playing guitar, I could play well enough that I was losing track of time. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah, definitely. It kind of reminds me of this other meditation teacher talks about the first glimpse he had into that whole world was through yeah. sports, actually, where you he heard that this guy, this sports announcer said he's got eyes in the back of his head. And that's sort of <laughs> that being in the zone when you're playing sports. But I can imagine, you know, being in the zone when you're playing music and you just sort of get lost. And I know Jimi Hendrix, for instance, talks about how it's almost like the music is playing through him and he's not even thinking about it at all. It's just flowing freely through him and through his guitar.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's really, uh, that's really true. If you, if you talk to any musician that's played long enough to be able to get out of their own way, um, and there's just this level of execution that's happening that, um, is beyond your intellect. It's, it's something deeper, Mm -hmm. um, that we can't necessarily quantify. So, um, yeah, I guess kind of coming back to like the original question. When did you start meditating? I would say that it really began there, but sports too, you know, sports. I was a basketball player and a football player. I never was able to go as deep into the zone in sports. I'm athletic, but not, not like a super athlete. Um, so I think that that is part of it too. You could definitely go into the zone there, yeah. um, but um, yeah, I would consider those, that was really my first foray into meditation. But then I started really examining meditation more seriously about eight years ago, like as an mm. actual practice and, and, looking into it and, um,
0: and when did yoga like, enter into that equation?
1: So yoga entered into the equation about 10 years ago. Um, and I Originally was uh, really uh, Attracted to yoga because um, Of the physical benefits feeling both uh, these classes in Los Angeles, which are very physically strong Mm -hmm. um, As you know, you take my class (laughs) and um, but also um, Also, I I walked out of the room feeling really open and and flexible. Yeah Um, Yeah, so I found about ten years ago, I started taking yoga classes at Sports Club LA, which is now Equinox. Right. And um, and I really liked it, but then I went to Yoga Works um, on Main Street and took a few classes with some pretty senior teachers there. And um, one teacher, her name is Sarah Ivanhoe, and she went on to become mm. a mentor of mine. Um, she led us through this this um, this breathwork session in the middle at the end of her yoga class and i literally had like an out of body experience where
0: yeah
1: um it was incredible i I was yeah exactly i had a, a, a moment of satori where i floated above my own body and was like watching myself sitting in a meditation and i was just uh i was just completely out of the body and just in just present and um and you said that was
0: music partly music that triggered that during her class or no no was there like a specific pointer or was the breathing that it was
1: breathing yeah so for for me and for a lot of people that i know um sitting in meditation you can go into deep states of consciousness um but breath work first doing some type of pranayama Mm -hmm. um that will usually activate it um it's like a catalyst uh to go even deeper and to have these like really um really
0: like transcendental
1: uh, yeah transcendental almost psychedelic experiences they almost have always happened as a result of breath work and meditation
0: Um, interesting so i've i've never had a transcendental experience through breath work but I did have one on the Bali yoga retreat with you when it was in Savasana. And it was one of those, I can't remember which song it was on your album, but there was this one period where there was just a long pause where there was no sound. And then like a strum came very, very uh, strongly in an unexpected way that I wasn't expecting it. And it just felt like, like my whole my, my whole soul or self just like launched out into the cosmos and, it sounded kind of like the experience people have described with dmt although i've never tried that but it it felt very out of body yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah that's incredible i you know i i i totally think you can have those experiences without breath work i think i remember at the time you were also reading some pretty deep meditation books too so you yeah. were definitely like you were preparing your 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 brain for deeper levels of consciousness and then you combine that with tons of yoga, and you combine it with being in Ubud and
0: being around right. these
1: people, and yeah, know, there's and the music, and, and then it's all just it all comes together
0: to yeah. give you this
1: experience.
0: It is yeah. really interesting the different ingredients that go into that sort of experience. Um, so I want to get into that when we get to the how, but I think first let's talk about the the why, and especially I think you have a really unique perspective because. You're someone who's lived in Bali and you've lived Mm -hmm. in L.A. So you can kind of see both sides of the coin, like the fast paced L.A. lifestyle and then the more relaxed Eastern mindful lifestyle. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts around what are the main motives of people who come on your retreats? Like, what are they seeking? What are the problems they're trying to solve? Like, what is it that drives people to seek mindfulness? And, you know, also, what what is it that you were seeking when you moved from LA to Bali?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, All great questions. Um, I'll start with the first one. When people come on a retreat of mine, I would say that it's 50%, 50%. 50% of the people that are coming on the retreat, are really just they just need a vacation. Mm -hmm. Like they're coming for a healthy vacation, a vacation where they're not going to be drinking a lot of alcohol vacation where they're going to be exercising taking care of themselves and like they just need that and that's that's one thing that I've really seen more than anything else is you Hmm. see the difference between Americans and everybody else because everybody else takes so much more vacation well Canadians Australians Europeans um, so much more vacation So, um, when, when now that I have these retreats and these trainings where the Americans are coming, I I really, I, 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 now that I've seen like all these other countries, if they're like, I just want a vacation. I'm like, you know what, man, do it. You know, Mm -hmm. like getting, getting an American to go anywhere for 10 days is right. And they have all this anxiety about like leaving home just for 10 days. Yeah. It's very normal. (laughs) Yeah. it's very normal in like um, in Australia or, you know, Germany or Scandinavia or even Canada for people to leave for like three weeks or a month and for their employer to be like, leave and like go and have fun and come back energized. And um, and so that's something that I've seen. So so half the people that come on on my retreats are really just looking for a vacation and they need it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, uh, I let whatever's supposed to happen with them happen organically. Right. And then the other half are really looking to like deepen their practice, like to come.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And have an experience and, and, um, to go from somebody who maybe practices yoga to somebody who might want to do a teacher training or somebody who w- wants to do more workshops and then. They go home maybe wanting to read books on philosophy um, yeah. and and develop and to develop a meditation practice that's consistent um, that they're doing almost like an exercise practice you know yeah
0: it's, it's, it's four yeah, it's,
1: or five it's, times a week uh you know it's funny my morning. uh
0: you remember martin my my cousin yeah, Martin? Yeah. yeah, so i he just called me right before this, just out of the blue, and he said that he recommended your retreats to one of his friends. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he... Yeah, they came to class. Yeah, Yeah. he went to one of yours, and then he went on another one since then, because it just really unlocked something for him that that he hadn't had before. So I definitely think a lot of people, myself included, you can sort of level up on the dimensional plane where you look at your former self, and it's almost amusing that, you know, some of the... Quagmires that you found yourself in previously that you're now able to get out of. Um.
1: Absolutely. Well, I, I, you know, one thing that I always say in my yoga classes is, um, every single person is very intelligent when they're calm, mm. and you're, and we're all stupid, <laughs> and we're full of st- stress and fear and anger and anxiety. Like you're stupid. You, right. maybe, Like you, you respond to life stupidly. You know? Yeah,
0: so even if your motive is, I want to be the most successful American businessman possible, even then it makes sense to pursue mindfulness because there are countless studies that show that when you're mindful, you're able to perform at a much higher level cognitively and physically and in all aspects.
1: Yeah, and you'll be able to like do your job and hopefully enjoy it. I mean, I, I would hope that if your goal is to become a super, like, successful multimillionaire businessman, your goal would hopefully be to also enjoy the journey of becoming that.
0: Right. And if you
1: don't, like, what's the freaking point? Right. What's the point? I mean, because it's not an easy thing to build a multimillion-dollar business. So not, you might as well make the choice to enjoy it. Like, I you know, I used to be an actor, and there was the George Clooney said, like, He caught himself once, uh, he was on set for some movie and he was like complaining and being like miserable and like, you know, just the typical like, you know, nothing's working out, blah, blah, blah. And he had this aha moment where it's like, wait, I had this dream life. Like I'm a movie star, like what am I complaining about? And from that moment on, he just made the decision, like I'm gonna enjoy the journey because I've been given a life that's like a blessing. And that's mindfulness to me. It's not even just, right. it's not just, it's not just uh, meditating. It's its uh, these aha moments where our perception is deepened and we're re- realizing our own insanity where it's like you're a movie star and you're sitting here and you're complaining about having a life that 0.01% of the planet will ever have a life of this quality, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, yeah that was something that, I don't know if you saw Dave Chappelle's recent Netflix special, but he talks about how Anthony Bourdain likewise had externally the most successful career you could possibly imagine. I mean, this guy was traveling around the world, yeah. getting paid boatloads of money to just live his life in these uh, amazing places. And then, you know, he committed suicide. So it's it's very clear that no matter how good your external life is... It's really the internal life that determines your happiness and fulfillment and it reminds yeah. me also of this this quote from Sadhguru, who I know you you love, who you actually were the one who yeah. got me into him, but he talks yeah. about how, you know, what is well being? He says, Well being is a deep sense of pleasantness within. If your body feels pleasant, we call this health. If your mind feels pleasant, we call this peace. If your emotions are pleasant, we call this love. And yeah. <laughs> and it's just like that really is what it all comes down to is is cultivating this you know sense of pleasantness and or peacefulness in all aspects of your life
1: yeah yeah absolutely and uh, I and and why not and in order to do that I think especially after the ages of like your tw- early 20s mid-20s um, you have to develop tools like it doesn't mm-hmm. just like the world will t- will kind of you know will put its pressures on you and if you don't have tools to be able to respond to life with emotional maturity and and mental clarity um, you just start to accumulate as they say in yoga so you start to accumulate all this dukkha and mm. dukkha is basically stress but I love the, the description for dukkha um, is like it's a feeling of being squeezed mm. which I think is great or being shrunken Right. So the, the idea here is that if you don't learn how to respond to life intelligently, life will shrink you.
0: Right. And yeah. I think I,
1: that's a really beautiful metaphor.
0: Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, I, a friend in my life recently had a panic attack, and he described it as it felt like the whole world was closing in on him, and he had shortness of breath, and he felt trapped like a caged animal. Yeah. And if yeah. you contrast that to what some of these... Meditation teachers describe as spaciousness, like inner spaciousness, conscious awareness, like it's a feeling of expansion, a feeling of totality and and that's uh you know that's like the perfect antidote if you are feeling that sense of being trapped or helpless or or constrained yeah. with dukkha, yeah.
1: Absolutely, and and, and then also just recognizing I I think that the misconception sometimes is, you know, these tools they do take time to develop, Mm -hmm. and um, you know, and it's not it's not all um, it's not all rosy either, because you take you take somebody who's um, who's already quite sensitive and perceptive, perhaps like an Anthony Bourdain or a Robin Williams, Mm. and you give them a meditation practice and they are going to be able to calm the mind and they are going to be able to um, find levels of peace but then when you go out into the world you're going to be just as much more sensitive to the suffering of the world Hmm. as you are to the beauty of the world so developing a meditation practice is not a one-way ticket to love and peace it's a one-way ticket to deeper levels of truth within yourself and then you have to learn to be able to handle that as well, right? Because when I when I started practicing, um, I remember reading Eckhart Tolle's books, and um, at first I had these uh, incredible moments of bliss, and I had an experience at a at a park, Temescal Canyon Park. What was like a it was a definite like out of body, incredible like rush of bliss that lasted for a few days and then the opposite happened i actually spent Hmm. a good amount of time being really unhappy because i was just so much more tuned into the suffering and the insanity of human of humanity
0: right and um, it feels like jim carrey has gone through that recently
1: yes it sure seems like it yeah like both sides of it you know right
0: But, yeah, I mean, one thing that struck me when I came to Bali is I would talk to the Balinese people and they'd say, oh, why are you here? And I'd say, oh, I'm at a yoga retreat. And they'd say, oh, I do yoga all the time. And I was like, really? But what they mean is not physical yoga like Hatha yoga. They mean yoga of the mind because it's such it's so ingrained in their culture to practice mindfulness that it's just like another tool, like you were saying. But in the West, there's just no sense of that. I mean. I guess maybe now they're starting to teach it in schools, but certainly when I was growing up, there was no mindfulness training, no meditation, um, nothing like that growing up in the culture.
1: No, no, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful that, that a lot of the, the more modern and progressive schools are starting to teach um, teach kids how to meditate and the effects that, that, are, that they're having for these kids, uh, if you look up some of the studies, it's just incredible. Like. I know, I think there's uh, a couple schools that implemented meditation as part of like the detention program. So if you get sent to detention, oh, yeah, it, I you'll read actually, about like, that. yeah, you'll have to meditate. And a lot of times they'll teach these kids to like breathe their anger out of their system. Mm. And what a what a positive way. Like otherwise, what are they going to do? You're going to sit in detention and just be angry, right? But it's like might as well go sit with the teacher who's going to be like, OK, um, we're gonna spend this time, like, paying attention to your breath and identifying where your anger is inside of your body, and then directing your breath to displace that anger until it's gone. And that's a tool that um, you can use your the rest of your life, right? And especially to teenagers who are full of hormones and reactivity, and you know, very still very emotionally open because they have the emotional openness of a child. But then they're right. developing all of these adult hormones and you combine those two and they, they can be, you know, very reactive.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know like the first couple of times your ego gets shattered as a young teenager, whether it's because yeah. the girl doesn't say yes when you ask her out or whatever it is, it's like it feels like the world's going to end because you have no practice in dealing with it. but if you were taught maybe early on whether it's detention or school or whatever you might be able to deal with it better
1: yeah and even if you were to look at um if you were to look at getting sent to detention as as an opportunity for you to go sit and release anger and release fear because again like i said like you know what happens is we we don't know how to get rid of our anger our fear our ego so it sits inside of us and creates this feeling of being squeezed
2: yeah. and then what happens
1: is we lash out and that's what usually makes a child end up in detention but right. if they if they're able to to learn how to not allow that dukkha to accumulate within themselves then the natural tendency for all human beings is to respond to life intelligently and and if that's i think if we can do anything it's how do we get more human beings to be able to have the tools to be able to respond to life intelligently
0: yeah and, you know it's so much better than just typically in detention you're building up your egoic defenses and and you know it's all it's all built, uh, building on itself to until at a certain point it just bursts but, it's
1: not it's not solving any problems,
0: like, right? Yeah, I mean, I noticed that in some yoga classes with you early on where you would give these pointers in savasana to just say, you know, relax the corners of your mouth, relax the muscles around your eyes, relax the muscles around your forehead. And like the first couple of times I heard that I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that I'm holding all this tension just all day. And as soon as you relax that and you just let go and surrender, all of a sudden, you know, it may be a swelling of emotions that come up or it may be a release of those emotions, but you realize how much is pent up when you finally allow yourself to just surrender and relax. Yeah,
1: totally. Dude, I I have found, you know, the more and more people that I work with and the more I work on myself, that a lot of times people will have, like like, oh, man, my nose is so stuffed up. And I'm like, all right, well, why don't you lay in meditation and soften the four corners of your eyes and soften your forehead? And usually within like five minutes, they're actually able to breathe more easily. And they don't actually even have a cold. It's like they're they're, they're squeezing. People are sitting in front of computers six, seven hours a day. And every time that uh, they experience stress, they squeeze their face. You're squeezing your forehead. You're squeezing the four corners of your eyes. And all of that is going directly Towards the bridge of your nose basically so you have all this pressure that's being created and you end up like you can't breathe through one of your nostrils or maybe even through both of your nostrils and mm. I can a lot of times I'll work with a client and I'll guide them through a meditation to soften around that area and they'll be like oh wait I don't even have a cold it's just stress
0: <laughs> that's fascinating like, they, they
1: think that they have some sort of cold you know right. they, they have like a virus it's just stress and it's, it's squeezing it's creating dukkha
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean I'd love to talk a little bit now about the how because it's it's so clear that meditation is the antidote for so many problems with modern life, especially in LA, especially in places where like in America, like you said, it's it's this sort of workaholic culture where you're you feel like you can't take 10 days off because you're just dreading the amount of emails that will pile up and you you know, build up all of these scenarios and, and uh, you're not living in the present. So I guess, you know, imagine that some of our listeners have no experience with meditation or mindfulness. Um, And a lot of our, a lot of our listeners are younger, like, you know, Gen Z and millennials. What would you say to them as far as how they should go about cultivating mindfulness in their own life? And then maybe after we talk about some of that, we can, you know, go through a brief little meditation practice of how you would lead a beginner.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, this is great. So there's both beautiful things happening with meditation and things happening that are, that in my opinion, um, they're, they're more stepping stones. So if most of the, um, if most of your, your users or your listeners are younger, I would say. You know, headspace and these apps. There's a new one that my girlfriend is on, and her uh, it's called Balance, and it's by the same people who created Elevate, which is an IQ boosting app. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's it's yeah. So Balance, check it out. It's it's a yeah. great uh, it's a great meditation app. But these are supplemental. Like, um, mm. they're a great way to get into meditation. They're a great way to learn how to create space in between your thoughts, but meditation is not something that you're supposed to be experiencing through a machine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like, it's, it's, it's something you're supposed to be experiencing through your five senses, and by filtering it through a machine, you can only go so far. So, I, I found meditation through YouTube videos at first, hmm. um, like 10, 11 years ago. Um,
0: Any teacher and able, in particular?
1: No, I would I would ex because I'm a musician. I would just go to like meditation music or oh. chakra chakra clearing meditations. It was actually I, I actually sometimes prefer un, unguided that it's just music or it's mm. just tones or binaural beats. Do you know what those are? Binaural yeah, beats.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. I, I like that. Um, so it was a great way to get started and i was able to at times go into deep states of consciousness but it wasn't repeatable because i wasn't working with somebody who i could ask questions and talk to Um, so the good thing that's happening with meditation is that now that it's becoming more popular and more mainstream there's all these apps that are popping up that are really um, uh, helping people get started but it's like, it's how you get started. It's like, hmm. if you wouldn't go, you wouldn't never go to a yoga class. Like you, you start practicing yoga online, you start practicing yoga on YouTube, and then eventually you have to go learn yoga from a person, right? you know, face to face. And it's the same thing with meditation. So that's the one thing that I do that does worry me because meditation has this, uh, I, uh, my old acting teacher called it a disguised virtuosity. Hmm. Which means that it looks really easy when somebody is meditating and they're in a deep state, it looks effortless. But to get to that level where it's effortless took thousands of hours of practice. The same right. thing as acting. You know, you see Meryl Streep acting and it looks effortless, but what she's doing is incredibly challenging.
0: Right. Or a musician.
1: Uh, yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. So the the disguised virtuosity. So um the thing with meditation is that it is our body's natural state is to be in a state of calm and peace, but to be able to develop the tools where you can get there consistently, uh, it takes thousands of hours of practice and a, a real, uh, you know, a, a commitment to studying with a teacher and learning um, and uh, and really committing to, to it with consistency. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, oh. even just feeling the energy in the room where everyone is meditating is really powerful. Yes. And there, I, I heard this one meditation teacher, they'll actually do exercises where they'll all focus on putting their awareness in one corner of the room. Mm-hmm. And then they'll try to look back at where that, where that awareness came from. And, but th- that's like a more advanced practice, but it's it's just interesting to sort of play with the energies and see how much you can feel where that conscious awareness is, is located from.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely.
0: But yeah, I mean, I think early on, at least for me, focusing on the breath was a really good good way to start. And, you know, I know you've also led, led meditations that focus on sound and, you know, there's, really any of the senses you can you can focus in on but what would you yep. say is a good a good way to start like if you were to lead just like a, a few minutes of meditation maybe you can just give a progression of of how how that would would start to get someone to a state of of uh, conscious awareness
1: sure um well it's different like the, one of my teachers dr lauren roach i'm just such a big fan of him um uh, he taught myself and he taught Leia um, my fiance uh, if you get an opportunity to work to, with somebody one on one you can ask them questions so you can kind of get a feel for um, their personality mm-hmm. and what type of uh, a meditation would best suit them uh, and then also that the type of meditation that you do will change um, from time right. to time so um,
0: so what are the main types would you say yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah great question um so one of the most popular is mantra. Mantra meditation is basically what TM is. So transcendental meditation and Vedic meditation is um, you sit in stillness and you're not necessarily paying attention to the breath. You're just repeating a word or a mantra. So uh, even like uh, in a lot of Western yoga classes or meditation classes, they'll have you say like, let go. Hmm. So you're just sitting there, you're breathing and you're saying like, let go, and then you exhale. Let go, exhale. And then if it's more traditional, uh, you'd repeat uh, a word like ram or so hum, which means I am, or I am in English. Mm. Or um, there's one Hrim or khrim. There's all of these, uh, they're called a bija seed. It's a seed mantra. And it's literally like, the, what, like a seed, like you're planting a seed and then you just repeat the mantra over and over again and um, eventually the mantra will replace the voice in your head and then mm. you start to create more and more space in between your thoughts um, so that's mantra and that's really good for a lot of business people use it a lot of um, highly people that are very identified with their intellect so if you're a very left-brained person uh, you're very much like and if you're a very smart, left brain person, you've been, begin, you've been, you have been rewarded since probably you were a little kid for using the voice in your head. Mm. So you, so, so the, and this is why a lot of like really smart people are very unhappy because they don't know how to turn it off. They mm-hmm. don't know how to create space. So mantra would be a great one for somebody who's highly intellectual, um, which a lot of like TM. Um, right is used by people who are very wealthy and very smart and very successful, which these people are usually are very intelligent as well. So that's why mantra works well for them. So what that'll do is that'll create space in between your thoughts. But it doesn't necessarily do is it doesn't work on reducing tension in your body, which is like the other huge half of meditation. It's like, what right. do you have? You have tension in your body, And you have a voice in your head that won't shut the hell up. And and you have to learn how to develop techniques that can work on both sides of that.
0: Right. So that that would be more like Vipassana, the surrender. Or is there another one that you think is better for getting into that surrender state?
1: Well, I think that there's two sides of it. So, you know, with regards to um, what they would call both Feminine and masculine we, we all have like a, a masculine and a feminine side to us the the masculine side of us that's that's learning to reduce tension in the body um, would sit in perhaps a vipassana or sit and just pay attention to breath or do a body scan a body scan would be like you direct your awareness oh. to specific parts of the body that are feelings. I love
0: that one I do that one all the time
1: yeah yeah, yeah. so body scan is great but these are more masculine versions of meditation. And masculine the, the masculine version of the meditation is like, I'm going to sit still mm-hmm. and I'm going to breathe until this tension is gone. Right. And that's, that's great, but it's masculine. So masculine, not meaning like man or woman, it just means like the essence right. of it is more masculine. The feminine version of that would be, I'm just going to put on some music and dance for 10 minutes mm-hmm. until this tension is gone and both of those are work incredibly well and the second side of it the feminine side of it is something that that's neglected a lot so one thing that our teacher would tell us to do is like particularly if you get a very feminine woman and she's like i just can't sit still and breathe into my body i'm like well yeah just put on some music and dance for 10 minutes like that's your meditation
0: yeah that's fascinating because because i remember we did one one class i think it was in fiji where we did a, the masculine feminine class and yeah. all of the men were supposed to really harness their masculine energy and be okay with being a little bit competitive and with holding your poses long and with really feeling this inner strength within where yeah. the women in the class were focused on free flowing you know being in tune with their sensuality and curvaceousness and and all of that and yeah, I found that I, w- I felt great afterwards. And I also found it interesting that uh, one of the one of the people on the retreat was was asking you, was saying, Paul, like, how, I can't find a man. What am I doing wrong? And you were yeah, basically yeah. saying it's important to be in tune with your feminine energy or for a man to be in tune with your masculine energy, especially yeah. because you know in society, American society, especially you know, men tend to suppress their masculine energy because there's so much in the news and media about how horrible it is to be a man. And, and, yes. and then on the female side, to be a career woman and to have it all and succeed in your career, it's it's seen that you need to suppress your feminine energy a little bit and be more like a male businessman. And so yeah. on both sides, it seems like people could use a little bit more being in tune with their you know their sexuality and their their gender energy their energies and so that i yeah. thought that was that was something i hadn't uh experienced before but i really enjoyed it
1: yeah and, and and you're look it's totally true and you're looking at like this society uh that we're in right now and and how how that is like a woman is encouraged to be masculine a woman is enc- like this is great like like You're out like now working a 12 hour day. Like you can do the thing like that a man Mm -hmm. can do. You can go out and you can have that six figure lawyer career. And that's great, but then it's very challenging. I I find, or what I see in a lot of my classes is these types of women, men aren't attracted to them. And they just, and a lot of times they're like, it's because they're intimidated by me because I make a lot of money. I'm like, no, that's not it that's because you're not dancing it's because you're not having Mm -hmm. fun it's because you're you you know you've forgotten how to dress sexy like not not for a man but for yourself like Mm -hmm. to dress feminine and to and to be in that spontaneous flowy which is what men need that's a compliment to a man and to have a woman who is vulnerable and spontaneous and gentle and nurturing and and the world doesn't teach women to be that anymore. It teaches them, mm-hmm. to, like you said, to go out and to be, to go out and make money, to go out and have a career. And all of these amazing things have come from that. But at what point do we say, okay, like I have to, we have to pull the pendulum back just a little bit. And, and like you said too, with men, because of all of this to- toxic masculinity, which I agree totally exists, mm-hmm. men are now like it's like they're clipping their own testosterone. It's
0: like, yeah. no,
1: like, you know, imagine if LeBron James wasn't competitive, what would, right. like, what would he be able to do? Like, and, and what that man has done for inner city youth and the schools that he's built and the money that he's given to charity. And not only that, like just how many kids would watch a basketball game and instead of going out and getting into trouble, After watching him, they go outside and they play basketball. And if he wasn't, if that man wasn't competitive, he would have nothing. Yeah. Like there's no, the, the, the talent would not be able to rise to the surface without the competitiveness. So it's it's really about like honoring your competitiveness, and and saying where are healthy places for me to practice this,
0: you know? Right. Yeah, and this this actually gets at another another sad guru quote which is sort of takes this into account where this idea of the distinction between bad and good which is really an illusory distinction so here's the quote he says the reason why everyone is not naturally enlightened is simply this people have categorized the world into good and bad god and devil high and low sacred and filthy these are parallel lines that will never meet once you had fractured this existence within yourself, there is no way to reach a stage of enduring well-being and freedom. You have been told to love your enemy. If you first label someone your enemy and then try to love him, it's going to be torturous. Yeah. <laughs> but I love yeah. that idea because really it gets at this, this very uh, prevalent concept in meditation, which is the non-dual. Because I know at least in my own experience growing up, everything was about dualism like good and bad and especially you know growing up as a catholic it was all about suppressing the bad and similar yeah. with masculine and feminine but i think getting to this notion of of seeing that they're all part of the same whole is one of the ways out like the way out is in by yes. by realizing that so i guess i wanted to i wanted to ask you how do you view progress in meditation like, do you see that there are stages along the path for meditation or, or maybe with yourself? Like, how do you view the different stages? And I can give you an example. So one, you know, Jack Cornfield, who's a meditator, has, has said that, you know, there's three stages. There's absence of self. Then there's the feeling of being the awareness. And then there's actually being cognizant of where you are aware from. And that sort of gets into the like, you know, moving your awareness to the corner of the room or, you know, moving it throughout your body. And that's just one model of, of stages in progress. But I'm curious if you have a different view on, you know, stages of progress in meditation or if you think that it can be spontaneous. Well,
1: yeah, I agree with all of that. What Jack Cornfield just said, but I think the thing that, that you kind of alluded to and the thing that Carl Jung used to really talk about was that the way to real liberation is going directly into the, the darkest parts of your soul. Hmm. And I, Carl Jung said, No tree can reach heaven unless its roots go all the way down to hell. And I love wow, that point. It's I like so that. vivid. Yeah, it's so vivid. And um so the 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 uh the thing that you don't see a lot in like instagram memes and whatever is like you know like you need to make peace with the devil inside of you you know and, right. and to really recognize um that within every human being and, and john lennon said this you know within every human being is jesus christ and, and hitler Mm-hmm. And every single one of us has the capacity. And once you can understand that within yourself, um, you can learn to not respond to life with um, the, the darkness, you know? Right. So like, like, like you said, like, I don't think there's good or evil. There's just balance or out of balance. And if, yeah. the, competitive, if the competitiveness is out of balance, it's toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, if your sensitivity is out of balance, as a woman, you're not going to be able to function in the as a woman or as a feminine, as a person very mm-hmm. much in their feminine. Even like artists, like you know, if if you're a very sensitive, feminine, artistic person, um, and you don't learn how to take care of that, the world is going to smash you. Right. Like, and it does that to artists. And I know I'm a musician, like it does that. It almost did it to me. You know, I spent several years miserable and in, in a state of anxiety and depression and, yeah. and I, I, unable to function in the world. But at the same time, I was, I was very conscious. Like I was very sensitive. I was very tuned into nature. And then when you're tuned into all these things and then you see something happening that's disturbing, it just destroys you.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the greatest possible fear that people have is what Alan Watts calls the screaming memes, which is yeah, basically yeah. like, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? It's like you're in a hospital bed with tubes and just unimaginable pain, but even that is impermanent, even that will pass. And if yeah. you cannot be so anxious about those possible futures coming one day, then and realizing their impermanence which is another big you know stage along the enlightenment path then it really liberates you where you don't have to have all this anxiety for the future or depression in the past and you can really just operate at full functional awareness you know in your day-to-day moments
1: yeah 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 i think that's all true and and i think getting back to the original question about like um what what how would you determine progress and I think progress really, uh, at first it's just, um, being able to relax enough that usually you'll have some moments of peace. Mm-hmm. And then what'll happen is you'll have some moments of deep release where you'll either cry or you'll let go of like a big chunk of anger or just something will happen.
0: They'll start laughing and, crazily. Yeah. Start yeah. laughing,
1: <laughs> you know, and then, what a lot of people do is like, okay, like I released all this anger, that's great. But the next step is how do I hold myself accountable to recognize the decisions that I made to allow that amount of anger to get stuck inside of me for that long? Hmm. So meaning like, okay, where, where are my blind spots here? Oh, I'm arrogant. Oh, I'm dishonest. Oh, I'm, You know, but we're a lot of times within the spiritual community, we're being told that we're perfect. And and I don't think that that's like a good you don't want a bunch of people walking around being like, I'm perfect. Like, how are you going to work on yourself? Like, like, I, I don't I don't consider myself perfect. And it's through, like, wanting to dive into my own shadow that I've really gained insight In my own life and then also that's given me the confidence to be able to go out into the world and teach meditation and teach Mm -hmm. these things because of not because of the moments of bliss that i've gotten but the moments where i've recognized oh like i used to have like ridiculous perfectionism so you know when i I had all of this crazy anxiety and all of this crazy um all of this fear and all this dukkha um and then i released it and then it came back i was like oh i didn't actually work on any tools to be able to not allow all of that anxiety and then i realized that it was my perfectionism
0: right yeah so it's interesting you yeah you know? it's interesting you use the term blind spots because that's something i've also heard as a pointer in meditation practice to not focus on your visual field but focus on your blind spots in other words look back at the one who is looking, or yeah. look for the thinker of thoughts, the doer of deeds, the observing awareness. There's all these different terms for it. Yeah. But I'm curious if any, because you have so many good pointers in your yoga yoga classes. I'm curious if you found any pointers that really helped you sort of unlock those those um, moments of satori.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's happened. Um, you know, I've done so many meditations that, um, you know, repeating, uh, the mantra, um, Mu, it's a, it's a Zen mantra. Uh, I was able to go into, I was also sitting at the ocean. Um, so the ocean mm. helped quite a bit, but I, that was able to really, I was imagining that the ocean waves were kind of just washing away my thoughts while repeating the mantra Mu, M Mu, which is a, it's a Japanese, uh, Meditation. Hmm. Uh, so I I experienced a transcendental state there. Um, I've experienced transcendental states while playing guitar, um, just completely jamming out. I've experienced transcendental states um, through breath work, which I've mentioned before. Right. But that's more like it's more in the body, um, and then also through body scan. Yeah. Um, through p- paying attention to specific parts. So basically what, what happens is the more and more you, you practice meditation and then for me, not just practice it, but teaching it, mm-hmm. teaching meditation made me a much better meditator because mm-hmm. I had to like really be able to articulate these things for somebody like you right. um, and then get to know you I'm like, oh, okay. So if, if Matt, if Matt's having a day where his, his thoughts are going wild and his thoughts are racing, I'm going to give you some sort of a mantra meditation. But if you're having a day where I can see that your shoulders are jamming up towards your neck or I can so- see that your breath is really short, then I'm going to have you go into your body. Hmm. And then I, if I have another thing where I can just tell you're being really rigid, I might give you some sort of a feminine meditation, some, something where you're, I'm making you move and dance and be, you know, be in your artistic side. Right. And that's,
0: that's yeah, what that's, what that's the real skill is it's not like a one size fits all. It's really dependent on your current conscious state. Yeah or physical state yeah. as well
1: yeah and that's why i'm a big um i'm a big believer in uh uh i don't prescribe to any one type of like this you know like tm is the is the thing or right. Zen meditation is the thing or or tantra meditation is is it it's like all of these things work and you can overdo all of them you know, you mm-hmm. get somebody who practices too much Zen meditation, they're going to completely cut off their own sexuality. Like, they're just not going to be, they're not going to want to have sex. They're not going to, like, they're, that, it's just going to go.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, because it's, it's just not, it's not a meditation that's designed to bring you into your own sexual energy. Right. So, it's to, it, a lot of these meditations were designed by men who decided to leave the world and be celibate. And then you get people that are like, I don't want to leave the world and be (laughs) celibate, but then they're practicing these meditations that are designed for people who were, you know, it's like, no, it's like, you don't do that. You have to balance things out, you know?
0: And why is it that for many people, especially beginners, it's a lot easier to have these sort of states of mind if you're in a foreign land like, you know, Bali or Fiji or somewhere like that? What is it about that that? Makes those experiences come more readily.
1: Well, because when you travel, you're present. When you're in a mm. when you're in a in a foreign environment, you're super present. So I think you know it's like it's like here here's the word the word safety. So mm. safety can have both a positive connotation and a negative connotation. Right. I think the masculine side of us looks at safe and thinks safe keeps me small safe keeps me from growing safe keeps me from stepping into a fear you know like play it safe play it safe like that's that's Mm -hmm. kind of a negative connotation but the feminine side of us is like oh i'm safe i can relax i can feel at home right so when when we're traveling there's a combination of not feeling safe which makes us very present because you're in this foreign environment and then going into like a place where it's designed to make you feel relaxed and feeling extremely safe
0: wow, fascinating.
1: And, and allowing, yeah, allowing all of that just to, to unfold and
0: to happen. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Wow. That yeah, sense?
0: totally. Totally.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And what do you view? Because we're still in sort of the how to achieve these, this uh, levels of mindfulness. Do you view psychedelics as being helpful at all along this path? Um, did you, did it help you along your path at all or do you have any thoughts there?
1: yeah yeah i i I think they do help um i and and i also don't want to tell anybody you know
0: like you um, should do it because it's dependent on the type of person and situation and all that
1: yeah and then and then it's uh, because psychedelics can also be um like it's like a catalyst for the ego too like like um, Mm, you could reify
0: your experience
1: oh my god you know what i see so much of is like the, the, the Northern California, like Silicon Valley guy who worked at Facebook and was making 300 grand like a micro-dosing year.
0: Microdosing every day. Yeah, <laughs>
1: microdosing or or, or, micro-d- or whatever. And then like goes and has a weekend doing a bunch of ayahuasca and then like quits his job at Facebook and like wants to become a shaman, but actually has no real, he ha- hasn't actually studied. Like, right, like, you right. just, you, all, like, all you did was get high, man. It's like,
0: yeah, well, this gets like at a just, really interesting <laughs> distinction because you said something at the beginning of this episode about how it's important to be reading the right literature, have the right base of knowledge, so that you can actually make sense of these glimpses at enlightenment when they do occur. So it seems like it's not just about getting into the right state of mind, it's also about knowing how to make sense of that state of mind. Making it repeatable. Right. And that was, I mean, that's been the biggest thing that I've been working towards is I've had glimpses, but they've never been deliberate. And now I'm working towards deliberately having those sorts of experiences through, you know, deliberate mindfulness and meditation.
1: Yeah. Um, But then that's, but that's, you see, that's the, um, that's the trap is to think that, oh, if I have this, like the experience that you had in Bali, like that's awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad that you had that psychedelic experience and, this, and the experience that I had in Sarah's class and when I did ayahuasca and mushrooms. And those are all great. But really how I changed my life was by meditating every day hmm. and getting to a calm enough state to be like, oh, I'm a perfectionist.
0: Right. And I can, right.
1: you know, oh, I can be really arrogant. Like, yeah. And, and then yeah. You're, you're grounded in reality, and then you go out into the world and you learn to respond less arrogantly, less perfectionistically. Right. And, and what a lot of people do is they're just looking for the psychic, the mystical experience. Right. Because it's a right. high. It's a high, and it's great, but it's just a high. And, yeah. and if you and if you don't actually go back and integrate that into your life and make permanent changes, then you just go through this cycle of like having this psychedelic experience, and then going back to all your unhealthy behaviors and all your unhealthy patterns, and then having another psychedelic experience, and then go, you know, and you're riding right. this wave of like one unhealthy relationship after another, or one unfulfilling career opportunity after another where you're not actually, like,
0: yeah, shifting, you know? Well, one thing that you said was interesting to me about how you realized you were, were a perfectionist, and this sort of gets at one misconception that I've seen, which is that if you become enlightened, you lose your personality. Like, you basically no. just become this empty vessel. But it seems like what's closer to the truth is that you just don't take things personally. Like, you're able to recognize that you have... Certain traits of your personality, but that doesn't—that doesn't reflect in any way on you know how you feel because you realize that there is no thinker of thoughts; that there is just this this spaciousness within each of us that is uh, you know much closer to the truth. So it's that it's misidentification with yourself rather than totally obliterating your personality and. Because I have heard what some people are like, are hesitant about the mindfulness path for that reason.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that, like, to become a spiritual person, so many people are like, I need to obliterate my ego, which means mm. I need to repress my personality or I have to shame myself for having sexual thoughts, um, wanting to make money. Being competitive, like all of these things, having a sense of humor. Like some mm-hmm. people even take it that far, where like they destroy their sense of humor. Right. Like what does that have to do with being enlightened? What does that have to do with being happy? If your sense of humor is gone, your sexuality is gone, like, like how is that like how how are you going to be any happier? Um, right. So it's like, I think, and again, this this goes back to like what I was talking. All of these books were written by men who decided to withdraw from the world, go and live in caves and have no job, no wife, no responsibilities. And, and, and if, if that's your aim, then eventually I think you can get to a certain level of peace and happiness, but you're not trying to live in the world. Whereas like mm-hmm. a lot of people like, they're reading all these books and then they're trying to live in the world and then they just end up hating themselves. Cause like, oh man, like I'm having sexual thoughts or, <clears throat> oh man, like I'm focused on like making money or, oh, you know, like are right. like, yeah, it's more
0: just about letting those thoughts arise and without judgment, letting them pass away again. Like I've heard one, one person described it as when you're truly mindful, when thoughts arise, it's like thieves coming into an empty house. Like, yeah, the thoughts still arise, but then they leave just as quickly as they arise. And you know, you don't, you know, the worse off for it.
1: That's a great quote. Yeah. Thieves. Yeah. Going into an empty house. Yeah. And I, I think that like another thing too is like the more you can, the more, the more you practice, the more you're going to start to really appreciate simplicity. Uh, in in every aspect of your life, you're gonna want to s- make things just more
0: simple. Yeah.
1: And and through the simplicity, the quality of everything that we do goes up.
0: Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if if you're cool with it, I would love to hear you lead our listeners just through a brief meditation. It can just be a cup like a minute or two, but yeah, yeah, yeah. just to Absolutely. give them a taste, a taste of it.
1: Cool. Okay. so I'd like you to find yourself a comfortable seated position. And just be mindful of your posture. Notice if you're puffing the chest out or if you're slouching. And try to sit in a way that makes you feel confident. And without closing your eyes, without excuse me, without squeezing your eyes, gently close the eyes. And as you close the eyes, keep your eyes gazing slightly inward and upward. begin to soften the center of your forehead, the space in between the eyebrows. And allow that softening to move outwards towards your temples. It might feel as if you're taking off a hat, releasing all this tension from the forehead and begin to soften the four corners of your eyes. Soften your jaw. soften the crown of your head and as you're softening the skin on the top of your head you might notice some tingling around your hair follicles and perhaps even slightly above your head And for the next few moments, as the face and the head continue to relax more deeply, just pay attention to your breath as it's gently brushing up and down the center of your body. see if you can deepen the pause at the bottom of your exhale and just sit in emptiness for a few moments. begin to open the eyes, slowly. Take a second to just notice the softness you've created around your face, and just notice the space in between your thoughts.
0: Wow, that was great! First, uh, first live meditation on this podcast. Awesome! I love the part about feeling above your head because yeah, it the gets crown you out. chakra. Yeah, never heard that one Sorry, before. Sorry, because
1: it gets you what? It gets you out. Well, of... it gets
0: you out of the notion of just being inside what Alan Watts would say—a bag of skin. Like you become yeah. aware of your energy field. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And that's that's something that I do worry about. Like, um, as meditation becomes more mainstream, um, h- hoping that the the aspects of the spirituality um, don't also get lost, just for like the scientific, you know, very clear cut medical right. examples. You know, like what Alan Watts is talking about has such a benefit, and what we just did has such a benefit to people and it's not necessarily intellectualizable. Mm-hmm. So um, I personally am a person who would consider himself, and I hate this word because it's so cliche, but a, a spiritual person. Yeah. And um, when we talk about like the future of meditation, um, the good thing is is more and more and more and people are more and more and more are getting exposed to meditation and, and there's all these companies and apps um, that are bringing it out into the world Um, And then the the challenge, I think, is how do you keep some of the spirituality in a place where people don't want to build a business around anything that's religious or anything that's quote unquote spiritual. Um, But, you know, I would always say, like, if you take the spirituality out of yoga, it's like taking art and music out of school. Mm. And, you know, it's like I feel like it's kind of the same thing with yoga and meditation. If you take the spirituality out, you're taking all the art out of it.
0: Right, yeah. right, yeah. Well, I think that's a good lead into the future scenarios. Let's start with the best case. Best case scenario.
1: I think the best case scenario would be that all of this um, buzz that's being created um, and all of these apps, um, what they do is they get people started and they give them a taste of what meditation is and what it can be and then more and more people um really dive into uh meditation and it's taught it's begun to it's begin it's it is taught in schools and it's taught as part of a curriculum Mm -hmm. that everybody uh is able to do and um the uh portions of the esoteric and the spiritual are just at least discussed as, as something right. that um, can be uh, you can take it or leave it right? and, um, and that the, there is a um, there is an inclination within humanity to um, to really dive deep within themselves and to recognize that meditation is both math and music mm. you know that's a good way to put it yeah and then also um, that the real benefits of living mindfully are not just getting high. It's also looking at the dark parts of the dark parts of ourselves and illuminating those dark parts with the light of consciousness. So hmm. not just using it to say I'm perfect, I don't need to change anything, you know, like but really being like, no, like oh wow, okay, I can work on this thing. And if I overcome this thing, then my life is going to be blown open. And it's my responsibility, you know, to, to work on my perfectionism or my arrogance or my, you know, my own, oversensitivity or whatever whatever it is, my codependence, mm-hmm. uh, wh- whatever it is. And just one, you know, one meditation at a time, just, just shining some light on that, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I definitely think the education piece is going to be crucial there. Um, you know, this like a liberal arts education. The reason it's like uses the word liberal is because it's meant to free the mind. Like that was the original yeah. intent. But it seems like now in this day and age, people are more, they care more about what's the salary you're going to get as a result of your education. Like how yeah. are, are you going to be able to take to, uh, you know, take care of your, yourself and be, you know, produce more GDP. So I feel like one way that we would make it more likely that we could get into the best case scenario would be if there was some sort of like universal basic income or some policies that made it easier for people to do what they truly love, whether that's, you know, whether that's music or whether that's starting a podcast or whether it's, you know, starting a company or whatever it is. That's one thing that it seems to me that is lacking a lot in American culture. There's just so many people that hate what they do, and it's a lot harder. It's not that it can't be done, but it's a lot harder to achieve mindfulness when you just really don't enjoy what you do every day. And I guess the other thing I would say for my best case is the is like you know you mentioned Eckhart Tolle, his book A New Earth that like the whole thesis of that book would be the best case scenario, bringing about a higher state of conscious awareness among all humans as sort of a way for us to lead, you know, Mother Earth or Gaia in the right direction without having these low level, low level, instinctual fights against each other. Like, yeah. So I'll save like the what could happen in the opposite direction for the worst case, but that's my sense of what would be a great outcome.
1: I totally agree, yeah. I, and, and, man, actually, your podcast, uh, one that I listened to about a year ago, I really started doing a lot of research on UBI. And yeah. now I'm like, uh, and I, I, I'm a huge believer in it, and what what Andrew Yang says, and what Elon Musk is saying, and now Mark yeah. Cuban is even talking about it. And I, I I, can't say enough like how I think that people need to be able to, have enough of a if technology isn't freeing us it's going to enslave us so the idea that we can use all this technology to give people the ability to have lives where they can pursue something meaningful um, right and that doesn't mean easy it means yeah. meaningful you know like like
0: as long as means- that's the focus because right now that's not the focus it's more yeah. of the focus is the external reality yeah yeah
1: yeah absolutely Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that that's, it's, it's so needed and I think we can't as human beings, like all of the, we can't even consider ourselves an intelligent species until we've learned to live in harmony with the planet. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything like we can build all these machines and we can go fly to the moon or we could go fly to Mars. And, um, as Eckhart Tolle says, it's, it's all intelligence in the service of madness until right. we are learning to live, uh, in harmony with the planet. And yeah, you know, I mean, the good thing.
0: <laughs> when you compare no, no. that intellect to the intelligence of the intelligence that grows your cells, that makes your heartbeat and all of yeah. that, it's like, it's, it's, it doesn't even compare.
1: Yeah. The immune system, like w- yeah. we haven't created anything that intelligent, the immune, like our immune systems, they're so, they're so intelligent.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the worst case now. Worst case scenario. I find it really funny to think about like fistfights on Mars, or like, I don't know if you've ever seen the show The Expanse, but it's on Amazon now. It's like Jeff Bezos' favorite show, but it's basically this future scenario where we have a colony on Mars, we have Earth and we have all these people like living on spaceships in like they're called the belt but essentially yeah. there's like wars between these three powers and uh it's it's pretty it's pretty awful to think that we could get that far technologically and yet yeah, we're yeah, still yeah. stuck in the same dumb human conflicts of just you know, it's having a small circle of people who you identify with and everyone who's outside of that circle is the other and therefore they must be, um, you know, kept under control and... and or
1: thought of as uh, fearfully or as the enemy, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, so, and it gets even scarier the farther that technology does progress because another phrase that I love is, it's like we're nuclear giants but ethical infants in this country, Or in in the West, especially. And so I guess the worst case scenario would be we keep progressing on all dimensions except for the one that really matters, which is the spiritual dimension or the inner dimension or just elevating your own level of awareness to habitate that new earth that Eckhart Tolle talks about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think totally uh i for me a a worst case scenario would be just basically that like more of the same and then within meditation uh, my worst case would be that meditation has its soul sucked out of it and it's just turned into this this cold you know completely mathematical formula that people are using to become one to either just to get high and then everyone's mm-hmm. just sticking their face in their phone and getting high off meditation and 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 just you know not and only meditating through a machine because mm-hmm. um, that's a huge problem it's a it's a huge the addiction to technology is a huge problem I see it all the time in um in my classes, people that like literally, like they can't put their phone away from my yoga class. It's like, just put I, your I see people in away.
0: yoga. Yeah, I see that all the time. I'm amazed. I'm like, why is yeah. your phone right there? And they'll check it during class.
1: Yeah. So, so the the, the, the good part about technology is that all these apps are coming out. Mm-hmm. But the bad part is, is, you're still looking at your phone, <laughs> you know, you're still using your damn phone you know it's like to meditate and there has to be a point in which um, you don't use your phone anymore to meditate or you use it like once or twice a week and then you recognize like okay like today I'm gonna go for a walk in nature with no technology right. and that'll be my meditation like I'm just gonna go for a walk at, in the park for 30 minutes and that's you know um, so yeah worst case scenario would be becoming more dependent upon technology and this, the soul and the spirit being sucked out, with just the intention to um, to create a quiet mind so that you can focus and go out in the world and make more money. Right. That's like right. that's how it's marketed. Just like yoga is marketed as a great workout. And that's great yeah. to get people in the door. Or food is marketed then,
0: for its nutrition. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's yeah. It's like caring about what it'll give you versus what the essence actually is of the experience and. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. Well, my I actually feel pretty optimistic here because I do see this, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, like the number of people who are using meditation apps like you said and you know, there is a drawback to that for sure, but it does seem like there is gaining momentum for being more mindful doing things like meditating and going on yoga retreats and that sort of thing and I also am encouraged by the fact that the science is proving out the value of it I mean I think i read that there's been over 5,000 research studies that have already been published about the benefits of meditation and I read this book called altered traits which is all about how they did these brain scans of these, you know, Tibetan lamas and, and, you know, pro meditators. And they found that the effective age of their brain was like 20 years younger what the average person was their age. So I think people really understand the benefits of it. And it is becoming more and more top of mind. It's really just a matter of how it it becomes incorporated, you know, like you said, is it going to be something that's just to get you some results and you don't really care about what that says about the nature of reality or the interconnectedness of all beings? Or are you going to really awaken to almost a higher dimension? Like, it also reminds me of, uh, I love this podcast called The Portal with Eric Weinstein. and he. Oh, t- I love Eric Weinstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah you should check out his new podcast it's fascinating but but he talks about how if you take any issue like abortion or gun rights or whatever there's people who are the hardliners on one side and hardliners on the other and then there are people who are in the middle and the middle is not just in between the two it's actually on a higher dimensional plane where you can see both sides and you understand the drawbacks of both And it's kind of like what you were saying about how it's like you're reaching up to the heavens, but your roots go all the way down to hell. Like you can, you can, everything can resonate with you because you see things from a higher dimensional perspective and it's, it's still to be seen if that's what will happen in the future. But I'm fairly optimistic that we are going in that direction. And unless there's some major setback, like, you know, nuclear war or runaway AI or something to that effect, I believe we will get there.
1: Yeah, I actually, I actually really totally agree with you. I think that from the, from what I'm seeing in Bali, the people come here and they are so sincere about wanting to learn how to meditate and wanting to learn how to take better care of themselves and wanting to learn how to live more mindfully and, and it's, it's spreading. It's really, totally spreading. So I feel really optimistic about that. And then I think that the really big thing is like people need to look at um, they really need to look at technology addiction and cell phone addiction, um, almost like we looked at uh, cigarette smoking like 15, 20 years ago. I, I really see it as mm-hmm. an issue. They're I see all a crutch. A, yeah. It's 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 a your cell phone is a pack of cigarettes and these 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 social media companies are doing some good, but they're also like they're extremely addictive. So Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that that I worry about is like that people are going to be dependent upon machines to do everything Mm -hmm. and um, the machines are supposed to free us up and particularly with something like meditation, like um, right. But what's happening that's great that makes me feel like, you know, most likely is now that all these apps are coming out, you have people that are living in small towns all across America and all across the world, they don't have access to a meditation studio or a meditation teacher. Now they have the technology to be able to join Headspace and then eventually find a teacher online and do privates with them on Skype. Like I do privates right. on Zoom, I do privates on Skype, and and I'm working with people in Australia or I'm working with somebody in Europe. and. And that's all because of technology. And and these people don't have access to to good teachers. So it's really it's all about the balance. It's like you have to be able to find balance. So the the thing I think I agree with you, I'm very optimistic and we have to address technology addiction uh, as if it's a serious problem. Because I see it as being a serious problem. As I'm talking to you right. through this through incredible, and- <laughs> yeah, it, it's great, and I would yeah. be able to talk to you and look at your face. And what we're doing is beautiful and it's awesome. But then recognizing, okay, like now I'm gonna turn all this off and go play guitar for an hour. Yeah, and that's good yeah. for my soul too. You know. Totally. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's the that's the thing. But I think they said like Gen Z and millennials like. They're like drinking way less alcohol, using mm-hmm. way less drugs than any generation. But there's also really high rates of anxiety and depression. Right, where's that? They're all
0: a, they're from? all sitting on their bed, scrolling through Instagram, wondering what yeah. everyone else is doing that's more fun. Yeah, yeah. Not all, I so, should say, but but yeah, no, it's it's all. a it's a totally different paradigm than than when when we were growing up. So yeah. But yeah, yeah. you're right that it is far more accessible to take those first steps on your mindfulness journey than it was in the past so to that effect it is much uh much easier now to get started
1: yeah absolutely and and i'm very happy about that obviously like it's it's awesome
0: yeah so tell our listeners where can people find you what do you have coming up retreats yoga teacher training yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I got uh I have a yoga teacher training in May of 2020.
0: Yeah, I'm um, I'm like trying to maybe do that. I just got to work work out my American schedule. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: I was I actually was I was I was like, should I call him out on the Dude, I, like, I I really want to do it.
0: I, I'm going to I'm going to try to make it happen. Love it. Yeah, yeah. I know I will.
1: Yeah so i you know hence the future i think that hence the future of matamor cronin i see you <laughs> as a yoga yoga teacher or a meditation teacher in a couple of years i i, I could see Dude. you i could always byron and i talk I would about love it we could see you as a teacher <laughs> yeah um so yeah so teacher training in may i have an incredible yoga retreat in santorini greece oh. in june of next year um, and then you can always just come to Bali, uh, come to the yoga barn, and check out my classes. Um, and um, And where can they find inst- you online? Yeah, yeah, my Instagram is Teodo, T-E-O-D-O, yoga guitar. And um, I also have a Spotify account with my guitar music. And I mean, you can just put my, I have a YouTube account. I have all this stuff, like yeah. online. I listen
0: to your time. music and traffic all the time, even still so oh, i definitely man. recommend it
1: thanks man i have another album coming out uh, it's already recorded we just got to work on the post-production
0: so i have a whole another 10 songs
1: hopefully in the next two months they'll be out
0: nice that's awesome yeah, we are
1: all yeah. dude
0: yeah. well thank you so much for coming on uh, this has been the future of mindfulness uh, thank you to our listeners as well what has happened see so you guys what is anyway. currently happening thank you and what will inevitably happen
1: The
2: past, the present, and the future
0: Hey futurists, if you've made it this far you might be wondering who created the Hence the Future theme song. It was created by the Walden Brothers and you can find them on Spotify. The Walden Brothers also produced the sound bites for the worst case, the best case, and the most likely future scenarios. At Hence the Future, we're always looking for ways to improve the quality of our episodes and our predictions. To that end, we're building a team of researchers to curate the most authoritative and highly vetted sources as the foundation for every episode. If you'd like to support these efforts, you can donate a small monthly amount at anchor.fm slash hence the future. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support.